welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor, Jamie Miller. Well, today we are continuing. It's the second Sunday in Advent, and uh, we're looking at the incarnate king. And this series is longing for the king. And so last week we talked about the promised king. We talked about the angel coming to Mary and making this promise. You're going to have a son, and he's going to be son of the most high God, God in the flesh, you know. And we told that story about the promised king through Israel and then Jesus coming on the scene and what that means for us. And today we're talking about longing for the incarnate king. God became flesh, the son and the son of the most high, the son of Mary and Joseph and the son of the most high. And, you know, our situation, if you think about it, you're you're always talking about the fall or human history when you're talking about Advent because Jesus is on a rescue mission to gather us up and to bring us back into his heart And so you think about it like this. After the fall, what was the first decision that Adam and Eve made? To hide, to hide from God. So so pre-fall, they're naked without shame. Post-fall, they're naked and they're, they're full of shame. They're marked by shame and hiding from God. And so that's just part of the fall is that shame that we feel and that Jesus came to make right. You know, and part of the fall is that we believe that God is over there. We're over here. He's out there somewhere. He's over there. He's distant. He's a far away God. And, um, you know, one of the, the first heresies that really came to the church was the heresy of Gnosticism that believed that Jesus did not actually exist in the flesh, but he was just a spirit. And so that's uh, early, <laughs> I gotta say this, I, that was up on the screen. I'm gonna say something about it, but earlier we were, somebody was in, in and uh, he was kidding, but he said, now Gnosticism, that's about gnomes, right? <laughs> I don't know, maybe I just needed to laugh, <laughs> but I just thought that was so funny. Um, not about gnomes, so let's get, get Gnosticism right here. Gnosticism is this idea that that it's a dualistic idea that the spiritual world up there is where God is and the physical world is dirty and it's where we are and they can't touch. And therefore, the Gnostic heresy was that Jesus didn't exist in the flesh. And so 1 John is about that. You know, don't deny that Jesus came in the flesh, that he reveals the Father to us. And um, yeah, the first, one of the very first uh, theological writings that we still have in existence today is Irenaeus's Against Heresies, and it was literally about, he was writing against the Gnostic heresy, and you know how he does it? He starts with the incarnation, which is what we're talking about this morning, the incarnation. And, um, and we may think, well, that's ancient philosophy. Is that stuff still around? It actually is. The dualistic thinking is still very much around. It's very much alive. It's it's, uh, it's, it's hard for us to believe that God would become flesh. And so you see Gnostic kind of dualistic thinking out there. It's, it's our independent thinking that we're down here and God's up there. That's at the heart of it. We're, we're separate from God. He, we're down here. He's up there. 
And so it bleeds into things like our thinking about heaven. Heaven's up there, out there, very distant, very uh, ethereal, and not, it's not real, kind of. And we're down here where it's real. And so we get a, a dualistic idea about heaven. That's why we talk about eschatology so much around here, is that we're gonna be physically raised from the dead. We're not just going up to heaven and gonna float around in a disembodied spirit and walk through dry ice forever. Actually, the end of the story is that there's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth, and we are gonna have resurrected bodies from the dead, and if we don't believe this, we're to be pitied. Okay, I mean, like, so we talk about that a lot, and, and we don't always say eschatology, but we want to live in a way that inaugurates that future in the present. We wanna live like justice matters. We wanna live like love matters. We wanna live the way of Jesus. And we're broken, we're messed up, we start and stop and fall down and get up, several of us, and, and, and so that's how we, we're, we're, we're on this journey. Another way that you see dualistic thinking is in the idea of holiness. So holiness, and, and the way it goes is like God is holy and we're sinners, and he can't have anything to do with us because he's holy. But it's, it's like when you get the dualism going, it's almost like God's in a hazmat suit in a surgically cleaned laboratory and he's, you know, and we're dirty and he can't have anything to do with us. Wait a minute, time out. What about the incarnation? God going through a birth canal, being a baby, taking on humanity. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so we have to rethink our ideas about God in the light of the person of Jesus Christ. Like, we can't come up with ideas in our darkened mind about God that don't run through Jesus. And we'll come up with crazy ideas like that one about holiness. And so holiness has to be rethought in the light of Jesus. So whatever it is, it's, it's transcendent beauty and love and life, and light, and relational. Holiness is relational. I think that might be why they're saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That kind of a reframing of holiness in the light of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So let me uh, read the birth story. And I think it, there's just something about infancy that helps us to see like humanity. It's just a, a helpless baby. There, there's humanity there. So if you would stand up and we're gonna read from Luke 2 verses four through 21. We stand up to honor the reading of the word. Oh Lord, open our eyes this morning that we might see beautiful things in your word. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord 
excuse me, uh, appeared to them, and they were terrified. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this is a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Have a seat. Amen. So Jesus is born. You know, I try to regulate how much coffee I have, I, I, and I went for a, just a little bit extra this morning, <laughs> and I can tell. I'm just a little, uh, to pray, peace of God, air, <laughs> Lord help me. So son of David, son of Abraham, son of God. The son, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the son of the most high God. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The incarnation. And the time, I, I think about birth. When I read this story, I think about, you know, it seems a little bit sterile. Maybe you could imagine it that. Time came, the time came. For, I asked, that was so weird. I asked Angela the other day, I said, when, when is your time? Uh, <laughs> she's due next month or something. I said, when is your time? It's weird. It's very biblical kind of I think I've been reading this story <laughs> when woman when is your time um, yeah, it's weird she did come uh, just to shout props to uh, wherever they're at Brandon and uh, they came as Joseph and Mary uh, to the staff thing it was pretty cool um, but uh, but think about it you know it's like time comes for her to be born and then the baby's wrapped in cloths might be just a, missing a little bit in there. You know, it's like Joseph, hey, I'll be right back. I'm gonna get some food. Comes back and there's baby, right? And I was like, oh, man, I remember. I remember babies being born, you know? And it was, uh, with Emily, it was emergency C-section, running down on the gurney, down to the operating room. And Matthew's the different, for different reasons. And, but there was a lot of yelling and crying and crying out and no oh, Jamie this is this is rough and, and I just tried to do whatever you know guys uh, <laughs> I love you I'm praying for you <laughs> but all that was going on no doubt right uh, all that was all that drama was happening but I do remember joy you know I remember the joy that came with those babies and the joy it's good news of great joy because he is the Messiah it's good news of great joy for all the people everywhere, the whole world, good news of great joy. And the incarnation then is a critical, 
critical part of the story of God. Um, it's, it's critical because Jesus is still incarnate. So it wasn't just a 33-year deal. He is still the incarnate Lord. He is still human, a glorified human, and fully God, fully God, fully man, still to this day. And he works the rescue plan. God worked salvation through the incarnation. Even though we are finding it, we find ourselves so often in darkness and the I am nots, I'm not good enough, I'm not cute enough, or I'm not smart enough, or whatever all the things are that get going in our souls when we are living in our fallenness. And um, Jesus steps into our humanity in order to get inside the darkness, to get all the way down in there so that he can pull me out of that mess. He is the light of the world. He is the one that comes into our darkness. He's not just a far off, distant God who's looking down on us from the Goodyear blimp or something. He steps into the mess. And that's what's so beautiful. He steps into this to bring us into the shared love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. T.F. Torrance said it this way, that God draws near to us in such a way as to draw us near to himself within the circle of his knowing of himself. So Jesus comes down in order to bring us into the circle of the love of God. Isn't that powerful? You know, I just, I, I love that. I, I, this one guy, uh, Daryl Johnson, he wrote a book, Experiencing the Trinity, and he starts off in that, in that book, he read, when he read that quote from Torrance, he said, finally, 25 years of searching, and I fell to my knees weeping when I, it hit me what God had done through the incarnation and drawing and the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and his sanctified life and pouring out the spirit that he brought us in Christ into the circle in his humanity. The incarnation then is how God draws us to himself. And so what that means is he assumes our brokenness. The unassumed is the unhealed, is the way Irenaeus and Gregory Nazianzus would say that. The unassumed is the unhealed. And I just, he steps into the mess but doesn't sin and lives the life that we were intended to live in dependence upon the Father. Does that make sense? So he's living what we were intended to do as image bearers. He is the image of the invisible God. He lives it out. I know I'm laying some stuff on you, put your thinking caps on, but, but this is beautiful. That preaching the Trinity to you is beautiful to me. It just, somebody asked me this morning, how did you get going on this? What, and um, it was an honest question. And I said, I started looking at Jesus. And I kept looking at Jesus. And as I, the more I looked at Jesus, the more I realized he's the son of the Father. And that that's, what, that's the center of the New Testament, is Jesus and his relationship with his Father in the fullness of the Spirit and the communion and love that's shared there. And so I, wanted, I do want to say we will never make too much of Jesus. Right. Right. Just not gonna happen. If sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and we give him a lot of credit, how much greater credit should we give to Jesus right. for saving us, for coming and meeting us in the midst of the mess? Like, 
like Adam doesn't get more credit than the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam. And it's how fully and completely uh, we share in what he did uh, for us. It's just beautiful. Here's the main thing I'm trying to say today is that God came near. God came near to draw us near to himself, to share his life with us and to show us a new way to live. There's two, I'm just making this, I'm say this pretty quick, but two great things about the incarnate king. And the first one is that he is the great mediator. Jesus is the great mediator. Paul says it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. It is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Praise be to your name. Out of the womb of Mary, and maybe even, I need to keep saying this, out of the womb of Israel. Out of the womb of Israel, out of the womb of Mary, Jesus Christ is the incarnate king, the chosen one, God in the flesh. And only Christ Jesus can be the mediator, representing God to us and representing us to God. So on the God to us part, we can only know God because he's revealed himself to us. We'd be, we're just groping around when we're not looking at Jesus, who is the light of the world, who's come into our darkness to show us what God is really like. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Isn't that powerful? So I'm always having to, I get some funky, wonky idea about God that looks like me and my brokenness or my pain or whatever, and I start going, God, you're just like me, and painting him with my own anger, frustrations, whatever, you know, and then I look again at Jesus, and I, I have to, we have to keep realigning our views, our thoughts about God to Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 says, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. John 1, 18, no one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is the, the Son, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So keep looking to Jesus. Who are we talking about today? Jesus. Yes, what's the deepest thing you can say about theology? You guys are quick learners. <laughs> keep, keep, keep your eyes on Jesus. I think that may be a word for us for next year. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're not gonna get to the end of it. We're not gonna make too much of him. You won't overdo it. You won't oh, I praise him too much, think about him too much, receive his love too much. No. Receive his mercy too much. And so he's, he represents God to us, but also out of the womb of Israel and out of the womb of Mary, he represents us to God. He does the responding that we, for our brokenness and fallenness, we can't do. And, and, and so the idea is that we want to live out of his faithfulness. If we could feel like he, he did it. Father, I sanctified myself on their behalf. I, I lived this life out the way it was intended to be lived. That's what he did for us. Praise the Lord. And he took our humanity onto himself and lived that sanctified life 
and then took us with him to the grave. That that, that old man could die and we could be uh, delivered from this body of sin and death. And he's raised with, uh, from the dead. And so because he died, we died. Because he's raised, we're raised. Because he's exalted and ascended to heaven, we're seated with him. It's, it's all a part of his mediatorship on our behalf. We share in this life with him. And it's one of the reasons why Hebrews talks about the Lord suffering. Like, it, it's not like he, he, if he doesn't suffer, then he doesn't fully take on our humanity, which involves so much suffering, right? Yeah, it's just part of, it's part of life that we know that this is the way God is, that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And that is a radical statement about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter five, verses seven, eight, and nine During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he, even to this day, he represents us before the Father. We're included in his humanity. And like, there's one, like, just if you really think through this, there's just one body of Jesus. There's not multiple bodies. And it will help us to realize and to think we are one, whether we like it or not, with the worldwide family of believers in Christ. Bonhoeffer said it this way, only the suffering God can help. And, and what he meant by that was only a God who suffers can actually be a vicarious, uh, stand in our place, vicariously stand in our place. And so it's not just his death, but it's his life and living. It's all of him that is the vicarious uh, humanity that steps in for us. And that's the next thing I wanna mention here. And that the second great thing, is a great mediator, but he is the great exchange. And we talk about this a lot. I mean, it's like, it's the Christian life. It's that I can't do it, but one has come in my place who can. And so we want to, Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's, now that's not like for super Christians. Like this is an identity statement about being in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, past tense. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live in the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me by faith, but it's also, it's the faithfulness. Is my, it can be translated either way. The NIV, NIV actually says it now. It can be translated uh, in the faithfulness of the Son of God. It's, it's him, it's about him. I take my little puny faith and touch the sea of his infinite faithfulness. Right. And that's, that's my hope. That's our hope. It's not, do, do, you, do you have enough faith? Did, did you get the right kind of faith? Do, do you believe enough? Did you, did you uh, it's not quite saving faith. Swing harder, swing harder, do it better. 
and we get on the wheel. Anybody ever been there? And so, uh, yeah, we're talking about the exchange. So Galatians 2.20, Romans 6, verse 6, we know, for we know, here's a past tense thing, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ on the cross. Okay, so it's a past tense, that happened 2,000 years ago. Was crucified with Christ on the cross. And so Romans 6.11 says, so now count yourselves dead to sin. And it's real easy. I got this from, I think, Watchman Nee many years ago, The Normal Christian Life. It's, it's real easy to just, if I could just count myself dead enough to sin, one day I'll be dead to sin. Anybody ever struggle with that? But it, it, the difference is learning to move from our identity to obedience. This is who I am, and this is, I want to live out of that. It's learning to live from the indicative, the statement that's true that God has done and made happen to the imperative. Now go and live this way. But living out of identity into action. It's, it, it's, a, it's an important piece there. This is the great exchange, and it is the ground of reconciliation. That's what we're talking about. Like Jesus Christ is, Colossians 1 says, it's in him that all things are reconciled in heaven and on earth together. This is God's plan. God's economy is to bring everything in heaven and on earth together under Christ. It's a beautiful plan, but it's, there's an exchange there. The word, underlying word for reconcile literally means exchange. And so we exchange death for life. We exchange love for, uh, for, for enmity. We exchange uh, forgiveness for guilt and shame. We, forget, we exchange uh, we, we, uh, freedom for our bondages, addictions. All of that's happening. That's the exchanged life. And so uh, we want to keep, walk, keep walking in the sanctified life and atoning work and all of that always constantly connected to Jesus. It's the one for the many. That's what he's done for us. Just like Adam made us guilty, Jesus has brought life and forgiveness and grace to us. Because he died, we died. Because he lives, we live. Because he loves, we love. And this, then, our life is a grace-filled life. That's what the grace of God is. It's, it's what we experience in Jesus. It's God's overflowing love coming to us in creation. You know, he's not just saving souls. He's actually gonna redeem the world. He's gonna restore, when the time comes for the restoration of all things, is when we're gonna see Jesus again. And so we long for him. We're gonna be talking about that, Lord willing, next week, the coming king. He's coming again. And we, we long for him. We long for the full participation in his life. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I guess I'm, I'm being a little bit of a voice here today for don't give Adam more credit than you're giving the Lord Jesus Christ. He is able, he is able to do and to fully complete what he started in us, this work he started in us, the great exchange. I give up my brokenness, I give up my funky thinking, I give up my pain, and I receive his life, his hope, his deliverance, his freedom. 
So what does this mean for us? Just practically, what does this mean? It means everything. It, it is the Christian life. What I'm talking about right now, this actually is the Christian life. We say it lots of different ways, but this exchange of what Jesus has done for us is the mediator, being able to respond, to receive the judgment that was destined for us to make things right. We couldn't say yes to that, but he could, and he did, and he did it rightly. It's, it means everything, and we just want to keep emphasizing that because it's a different path than the path of performance. It's just, it's a different, if I can just try harder. Don't think of, Jesus isn't like our, uh, he's not like a strength and conditioning coach. Come on, TK, let's go. It's, it's not like that. It's like he's actually done it all. And we respond out of that, but it's a response of grace. It's not like if I could just try harder, I can get this thing together. And just, it's a, I'm a mess. I need Jesus. Anybody else? So what does it mean? It means we share in his life. We share in Christ's life together. Uh, I got a great Eugene Peterson quote here, and it's a participation. You know, we're responding to, like, here we are in the triune circle, included by grace in Jesus Christ, and we respond out of his response. If, if we could do that, that would be so awesome. But I, I'm starts and stops, and I fall down, and I get up, but this is, this is the goal, living out of his life, living by the life of another. That's what Jesus did, modeled for us, and now empowers us by his spirit to do. Eugene Peterson makes this point several different times in his writings, but growing up in Christ involves an acquired passivity. However, this is not easy because the word passivity creates a bad odor in the American language. Can I get a witness? That's just like, oh, so we're not, we're not taking over and taking control and getting in charge. Jesus is Lord. This passivity, it's not easy for us. Um, he goes on to say, uh, God's initiative in our lives is not simply chronological, but relational and he is the leader in the great dance. And we're responding to him. I have no idea what it looks. I, I don't even, we, we dance around some at the house, but I'm step on our toes and stuff. But we're responding to the Lord and letting him lead us. All, all that. It's a dance. It really is. I've got a friend up in Oregon named Jordy Ziegler, and Jordy describes it like this. He said, the truth of our being is that we are included, adopted into the filial, the son-daughter life of Christ. And this is the stunning indicative of grace. Now, therefore, we are gratefully and confidently indwelled the truth by living in fidelity to it, that is, to him. Lord, that's what we want to do. In this frame, work, the basic movement of spiritual formation is from identity to obedience. Can we just say that together? From identity to obedience, not the other way around. And in a culture where identity is something to be constructed, identity is a project achieved rather than a gift bestowed, in such a culture of performance and conformity, 
Identity is slavishly captive to the opinions of others with the result that fear, insecurity, and the weight of expectations reign. You know, he goes on, he says, you know, we've got to hear and repent before we take off trying to obey and do it in our own strength or we'll end up on the performance wheel again. You've got to hear Jesus and the word of grace, the word of his love, and then we turn, and we talk about this all the time, but we turn, we want our mind to be in alignment with Jesus' mind. And that's, that, that's, that repenting is going on all the time. It's not something you did back when you were 12 or 20 or whenever you came to the Lord. It's a daily, I repent daily. I repent daily. I repent to the way of Jesus. Lord, to you, I, I need your mind. We need the mind of Christ. And we, we've been given it, but we have to repent from our way, independent, fallen tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to the mind of Christ, to the way of Christ, to, to, to the way he thinks about. And then, out of that, believing and obeying and I, I just want to hear. I want to say this to, to be clear: we have to hear and and live in this place of response to Him. That passive word—it's so—it's so hard for us because I want to, and I, I know you want me to, to make the application and tell you what to do. It, it, it's like built into—it's built into our thinking. Okay, so Jamie, make it practical. What do I go do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's right. Turn your thinking in and look to the way he's thinking. We walk into our different situations and, and we say, uh, not just what would Jesus do, but Jesus, what are you doing? It, it, it's, not, it's not a, if, if, if we're not careful, we'll just get right back on that path of do's and don'ts and the performance and the wheel and what God wants is a relationship, a real, honest-to-goodness relationship where we're talking, and Lord, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this situation? How can I, just, how do you want me to respond here and now, in this moment, and to be aware of his presence? And it it's practice, you know, it's just over and over and over of a new mind. And thinking with the mind of Christ. And it's so beautiful. The Lord is wanting to do this in and through us that we would have a relationship with the incarnate king. He's still the incarnate king. Lord of heaven and earth. All authority has been given to him. And he wants a relationship with us. And he's done everything to make it happen. And let's respond to him today. Amen. You guys stand up. Thank you, Lord. Um, band, come on up. Ministry team, if you would, go ahead and make your way up as well. If you're new or visiting, just we do this every Sunday. We just take a little time to respond in the moment. Like God, God does a lot of stuff right here in this time where we just pray for each other. And so if there's a yes in your heart to the good news of Jesus, come and just have somebody pray with you. Just like, I, 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 there's a yes in my heart. Maybe you've never responded in that way to Jesus like, today's the day of salvation. Just this gospel, this good news of life in Jesus is for you. 
And it's for me and it's for us together. And this room is filled with people that have said yes to the Lord. So if that's you, come. Um, you know, maybe you're struggling this morning with a, a view of God that needs to be corrected through the lens of Jesus. Just, and if that's you, just I'm struggling with my view of God or faith in God. Maybe there's challenges there, then come and get prayer. And maybe you're, this could be a, any of us in any given moment, but you're trying to define self and identity apart from Jesus. And then come and get prayer about that as well. And maybe you found yourself uh, on the performance path instead of the path of grace and responding out of his response. And again, maybe you need healing. Whatever your need is, let's just lean into the Lord here. We've got a bunch of people already starting to pray. So Father, meet us this morning. We need you. We love you, Jesus. We so want to live by your life. Help us to have breakthrough where it's needed this morning. In Jesus' mighty name and in the power of the 